Well, Haybridge family, it's with a holy anticipation that I get to introduce our preacher for the day, my friend and one of my favorite Bible teachers in America, a man named Rob Turner. If you're here a few weeks ago, um, our church experienced like a truly holy moment um, as Rob is coming out of a season of restoration in his life. And our church had the holy gift of being able to receive Rob's first sermon in a church setting in nearly two years. Um, And uh, every now and then, it simply feels like the Lord knits the heart of a person or a teacher to the heart of a church body. And the overwhelming spiritual response to Rob's teaching that week just made us feel like God was doing that. And so as soon as he left, we immediately reached out to him and asked if he could come back and share the scriptures with us again. And so Bridge family, will you please welcome not just my friend and not just one of my favorite Bible teachers in America, but a friend and an advocate for the bridge, Rob Turner, to the stage right now. Let's give him a warm bridge welcome. Make some noise, bridge family. Uh, Good morning. It is definitely a grace uh, to be with you, and I want to greet those who are at your Columbia campus uh, this morning. Uh, For those of you who are at the Columbia campus, I don't think that technology there is that great. So let me just inform you that I actually weigh about 20 pounds less than what it looks like out there, and I'm way more muscular. And so I just kind of wanted to share that, and thank you for the five people that laughed at that. And now let me also say, um, again, an encouragement and grace to be part of this series, which I believe is a very important series, but my self-image is a little low. Uh, because I'm wondering when they plan sermons and who needs to preach them, what kind of meeting went on when they were thinking about, well, who do we need to get to talk about pride? And who do we need to get to talk about bitterness? Oh, we'll get Rob because he's great at those things. And so I just want to thank the leadership for ruining uh, my self-image. This morning um, is also a very special grace in my life. Uh, in God's providence, he has allowed and enabled um, my precious wife of 22 years, and uh, I have four children, and two of our oldest are with us this morning, and so it's an honor to have them here. So yeah, we're talking about bitterness, and even though I made the joke about the decision to have me preach it, in many ways it's very true. Uh, because I, I am hardwired to know how to be bitter. I know how to do it. Uh, and I've been on both sides of bitterness. I know what it means to go through seasons, days, years of being very bitter. And how that can be a huge motivator in somebody's life. I've also been on the other end. I've been on the other end where people have been bitter with me. Both sides of it is no fun. Both sides of it is very, very empty. In this room, there are many, many stories of pain and heartache, regrets, decisions, maybe even um, a dark night of the soul happening for you even now. There may be some names and some situations that when you think about those names and you think about those situations, you can feel it rise up inside of you. Bitterness is real. It's not imagined. 
I want to encourage you that God wired us to be angry. We have the natural ability to be angry, and there are right and noble and godly things to be angry about. But the problem is when we're born sinners, the categories of what we get angry about get all messed up. The degrees of what we get angry about get all messed up. Bitterness is nothing more than anger that has moved in and made itself at home. And here's what's vicious about bitterness is that on the outside, you may not look bitter. You could still maintain a job and still be bitter. You could still be in a marriage, have all kinds of bitterness. Again, we can worship and still be full of bitterness. And so uh, this has been a problem since humanity's been here. And so the way we're going to treat this today is we're going to go uh, to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, the whole book of Hebrews can be at times very, very hard to understand. And so I'm just going to kind of give a real quick overview, a contextual overview of Hebrews. We know that um, the divine author is the Holy Spirit that wrote Hebrews. The human pen that the Spirit used, we're not really sure in terms of the human author. But the human author is writing to all kinds of Christians as they were kind of expanding through that part of the world thousands of years ago. But as they were expanding, as they were growing, they were starting to get hardship. They were starting to get blowback for their allegiance to Jesus. And I'm telling you, uh, for those of you who are in Christ, uh, you don't have to be in Christ that long to realize that you're going to be challenged very quickly in your walk with Jesus. Not every relative is going to understand your allegiance to Jesus. Spouses will not understand your allegiance to Jesus. People in your workplace will not understand all your allegiance to Jesus. And as we know, we do live in a body of flesh and we live in a broken world. And there's going to be a gauntlet that you and I face. And so what's happening is to a lot of these people who are professing Christ... They're starting to cower. They're starting to say, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to go through this persecution anymore. And what they did, they didn't go to outright rebellion. They went to heresy. Started the worship of angels encrusted with the gospel. They started um, worshiping uh, historical figures and so forth. And so right in the middle of this, the author of Hebrews writes some very, very important words. The reason that Hebrews can be really, really hard for us, I'm a, I'm a big grace guy. I, I believe in God's steel hard grace of his kids. I really believe Jesus meant it when he says that he's like a shepherd and no one can snatch us out of his hand. I believe we are eternally secure in Christ. So I want to be very, very clear before I say anything else. But a lot of times in our culture, we say that the evidence of our eternal security is a prayer that we prayed years ago, even if there's no fruit now. And we have indoctrinated many in our culture of an easy believism. And so therefore, we have many within the body of Christ all throughout the ages of professing Jesus, but not possessing Jesus. And if we are just professors of Jesus... It doesn't honestly take that much hardship for you to go, I'm out. And so the writer 
of Hebrews is exhorting them to say, you got to persevere. you got to persevere. The ultimate fruit of our authenticity in Jesus is not perfection, but it is perseverance. In fact, I know we don't like wedding those two together, security and perseverance, but, but Paul didn't have an issue when he says in Philippians 2, 12 through 13, when he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But then he follows it up with what? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see our role and see the Lord undergirding that role in persevering in Christ. In Hebrews 12, 14 through 15, the author writes these words, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. Lord, I pray for your enablement. I ask God that you help me not to preach through a mask. Help me to be crucified to you. And Lord, I ask God that you would uh, do a work in our midst through your spirit of bringing dead people to life. Lord, we love you in your awesome and precious name. Amen. Um, well, I uh, when I'm a little bit jittery and, I, and when I have this much caffeine in me, I start preaching like a mile a minute. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you all the points real quick in case I forget them. And so just so we can check off the box. So today I'm going to be talking about the, the combat against bitterness. I'm going to talk about the corrosive power of bitterness. I'm going to be talking about the tragic consequence of bitterness. And then I'm going to be talking about the present cures for Bitterness, and I'm going to be spending about an hour on each one. <laughs> Kidding. All right. So, um, so here's the big idea. Here's the main idea, and then everything's going to flow from this. Bitterness toward others and perseverance in Christ cannot coexist with each other. They cannot coexist with each other. We are called to persevere in Christ. That's very clear all throughout Scripture. Bitterness toward others and perseverance in Christ cannot coexist with each other. Now, this is difficult for us because we live in a culture that makes a lot of money on bitterness. If you think about what we take in in terms of pop culture, if you take in what is supposedly called reality TV, if you, if you take in the drama, I'm telling you, in our culture right now, I don't know if you feel this, there is so much anger, there is so much dissension, there is so much acrimony within our culture, and literally, business is good when it comes to bitterness. The tragedy is when it creeps into the bride of Christ. There's no room. So bitterness toward others and perseverance in Christ cannot coexist with each other. Here's the first one, the combat against bitterness. I'm not going to land here long because this really is about the whole series. Be killing sin or sin will kill you. Um, at, some, at one point in my early Christian life, I just kind of had this thing that if I, when I Converted to Christ when Jesus saved me, when he converted me through his Holy Spirit, when he granted me faith and repentance, and I saw him as glorious, and I saw him as everything, I just thought, wow, heaven is beginning now. There's going to be no trips. There's going to be no turns. There's going to be no stumbling. There's, it's, it's going to be great. It's going to be one continual camp experience. 
But then I realized that when we come to faith in Jesus, that means the only battle that matters is over, and that's battle against the Lord himself, and we praise God for that. But we are introduced into another one, aren't we? I don't know about you, just the battlefield of my own heart is an ongoing battle. The battle against a culture that is completely anti-God in its very, very roots. The battle against strife in other human beings. The combat against bitterness. The author uh, starts out this verse, he says, strive for peace with everyone. That word strive is in the imperative. In other words, like be adamant, strive, yearn, go for it, be intentional, strive for peace with everyone. And so the combat against bitterness, it's got to be intentional. I used to think that our emotions did not come under the umbrella of repentance. I just feel what I feel. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever said that to yourself? I just feel how I feel. I can't can't help how I'm feeling. We all know that's wrong. Feelings may come against us, but we don't need to, to stay there. We need to be intentional in repentance in terms of our attitudes and our desires. And then it says later on, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Uh, That phrase, see to it in the New Testament, is a very interesting word. It's the verbal form of the noun overseer. Now, at the bridge, uh, especially for those of you who are new, God has raised up within this body a team of elders who do oversight and shepherding, and and that's part of God's design, his governance for his bride. It's a beautiful thing when it's crucified to him and operating in a way that honors him. It's absolutely beautiful. Well, here's what's interesting. The same verbal form is used here, but this is not written to elders. Guess who it's written to? Brothers and sisters of Jesus. In other words, did you know that there is a sense that you and I practice oversight with each other, helping each other not to go down the road of bitterness. That's really, really important. If you're like me in the Christian life, it's easy to farm the Christian life out to the professionals. Let the pastor study the Bible. Let the people who are paid to lead the Bible studies, let them do the counseling. But when the people of God, from the gifts of God, when they all start operating together, oh, what harmony it is. And it's so, so healthy, the combat against bitterness. The writer gets it from Romans 12, 18, when Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So why is combating bitterness important? Is this, are we just kind of exaggerating in this series? Well, then the next one is the corrosive power of bitterness. Uh, This is what it says, that no root of bitterness springs up and, number one, causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. I actually don't think you have to be a believer to believe this. Have you ever been to a family reunion and you have that one or two relatives and they're bitter? They don't think they are. Everybody else knows they are. And the power of that that impacts that whole family. 
is really scary. The corrosive power of bitterness. Even our unbelieving culture sees the corrosive power of bitterness. I just recently uh, read this quote by Dr. Nina Radcliffe. I don't think she has any kind of faith commitment whatsoever. She wrote an article on CNN called Take It to Heart for Your Health. She was talking about heart problems. This is what she said. She said, there are many studies and two legions of medical health experts who have reported that in dealing with severely ill patients, many began to decline in health at the same time they began to harbor an offense. Facts are that unforgiveness can cause myriad stress issues that could directly impact your health. And some even refer to it as poison that could ruin your life, ruin your health and life. The Christian apologist Lee Strobel said this, acrid bitterness inevitably seeps into the lives of people who harbor grudges and suppress anger. Bitterness is always a poison. It keeps your pain alive instead of letting you deal with it and get beyond it. Bitterness sentences you to relive the hurt over and over. I think that's so true. It's so true. You know, there's other ways that you can see bitterness, even though we would probably not tag it as bitterness. Some people are obsessively driven. If you have ever read the uh, biography of Steve Jobs with Apple or Lance Armstrong, uh, you don't have to read very long that there is deep anger in their story. And there are many, quote unquote, workaholics who are obsessed and they're very driven and, and what, what is fueling them is not God's glory. It's not a, a significance in Jesus. It is, I have to pay back the people that have wronged me and with the lot that I have in my life. And it's amazing the productivity they have in their life. But the fuel is bitterness. Oh, there's another way. Bitterness sometimes can go inward. And guess what it develops into? Self-hatred. That's when it gets really toxic. I'm not going to ask for a raising of hands. Can you relate to the thought, I thought my life was going to be different than this, and I am so sad about this? Have you made a choice that you said, I would never make that choice, but you did? Harboring a secret. self-hatred when bitterness goes inside. How about this one? A preoccupation with somebody else's failure or success. We could be harboring bitterness. You know how it is, stalking people on Facebook, Twitter, and, and outwardly we're going, man, that's great. Or, or maybe... Have you ever had that moment when there's somebody, somebody's name or somebody you know hurt you or offended you in some way and you hear a rumor that something bad happened to them? Outwardly, we may be going, we need to pray, but inwardly you're going, yes. That's low-level bitterness. Um, when we gloat over people's failure, it's a bitterness problem. And at that point, the other person's not the problem. 
Uh, in fact, I, I, I read this Proverbs. I, I have never read this proverb. I'm going to get ready to read to you before. And I've done all those, you know, year in a Bible, and I, just, I don't know where I got it. And so it's what Proverbs, Proverbs 24, 17 through 19, this is what it says. Do not gloat when your enemy falls, when they stumble. Do not let your wrath rejoice, or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from them. The Old Testament British scholar Derek Kidner, in commenting about that verse, this is what he said. Your glee may well be in God's sight a more punishable sin than all the guilt of your enemy. The corrosive power of bitterness. So what is the root of bitterness? That was my question. What exactly is the root of bitterness? And as I was walking through this, this is something that I've, I've learned and found out. First of all, the root of bitterness is not the trauma over a hard or hurtful life situation. The root of bitterness is not the sudden loss of career or status. Um, the root of bitterness is not the loss of a loved one. The root of bitterness is not the heartbreak over a relationship gone wrong. The root of bitterness is not the angst over unfulfilled hopes. The root of bitterness is unbelief. I know. It sounds so weird. Do you know why? Because we have to have something or someone to blame, don't we? We have to have someone or something to blame for our sin. And at the end of the day, when you and I struggle with bitterness and we cherish bitterness, it's really not a horizontal issue. It is a vertical issue. It is unbelief in what God, who God is and what God has said. Let's kind of um, blow this out a little bit. In other words... Do we really believe that God is sovereign? In other words, God is sovereign. That means that God is in control. He is over everything. He is not the author of sin, but he is over our sin. There's no sin that could thwart God's grand design. And so therefore, when you and I go through hardship, and when we get hurt, when we get slighted, and, and when there's some type of um, hardship that happens in our life, do we believe that God is absolutely sovereign, that God never says oops, and that God is going to use everything? When we are bitter, in essence, we're not believing that God is sovereign. Do we believe that every person is made in the image of God, even our enemies? That we've never met a mere mortal. That God, every person, even our enemies, have a dignity because they were created by the grand artist. And, and when we have bitterness, basically, with our actions, we're not believing that people are made in God's image, do we believe in God's providence? In God's, God's providence means that even now, that God cares innately about our daily lives. Not just daily, but our hourly, minute by minute. He knows every hair on our head. Do we really believe in God's providence? When we have somebody that we can be bitter over. In fact, this passage is alluding to a passage in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 29, when God renewed his covenant with Moses, I don't know if you've ever read about the people of Israel uh, in the Old Testament. They're a mess over and over again. They go from, yay God, to I hate you God, and then they repent, 
They come back again over and over again. And in fact, just like the cycles that you and I can go through as well. And this is what God said through Moses to the Israelites. Just listen to this. Deuteronomy 29, 15. God says through Moses, Beware lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. And then in Hebrews 3, gives us even more clarity on the root of bitterness. Hebrews 3, 12, it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The root of bitterness at the end of the day is unbelief about who God is and what he has said. Do you know one of the most powerful Bibles that people live by is their pain. Is their pain. Is unbelief. Uh, Have you ever heard the phrase, don't be bitter, be better? And have you ever noticed that never helps? (laughs) But see, in the body of Christ, we're practicing a sense of oversight with each other when we really do care for each other, even if we don't know each other deeply, we're not saying to brothers and sisters, do better. Do you know what we're saying? Believe deeper. Believe deeper. Trust deeper. Believe deeper. So the root of bitterness at the end of the day is unbelief. Well, what's the tragic consequence of bitterness? In a very short phrase in this verse, but it weighs tons that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Let me press in a little bit more. The great tragedy of bitterness is deeper than the physiological, psychological, and emotional issues that come with it. The great tragedy is simply missing out on the life-giving grace of God. Of God. Let me make it shorter. In short, bitterness makes you miss out on the joyful party of grace. Let me get a little bit more forward. Bitterness is real. Bitterness is hard. Bitterness is not worth going to hell over. It's not worth it. It's so not worth it. When I think about this, I think of probably the most famous parable in all of the Bible. Luke chapter 15, the parable of the prodigal son. And I I love this story because Jesus recounts the story. Remember, he's recounting this to the religious leaders. And he talks to them about a dad, a dad that is so generous, it's almost mind-blowing how generous he is. Because he has a son that comes up to him and basically says, I want my inheritance right now. Now, I don't know if you know this, but you usually don't get an inheritance until your dad or until a parent is dead. And here is this son who goes up to his dad and basically says, you are as good as dead in my eyes. Give me my inheritance right now. 
And the, son, and the dad gives him this inheritance, and the son does what humans do. And he takes all these resources, and the Bible says simply, he goes off into a faraway country, spends all that he has, and then he gets to the point where he's hungry, he's now feeding pigs, and wants to eat the same things that the pigs are eating. And then the penny drops. And now he says, wait a minute. My father has servants that are well fed. I'm going to go home. The reason why I love this story is this boy is so repentant in this parable that he's okay not being a son because he knows he doesn't deserve to be a son. And he practices that speech. We all know what the speech is when he's coming on home and he knows that he's probably going to get huge amounts of trouble and all the way home. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. Just let me be one of your servants. And he says it all the way home. And in the parable, the dad is waiting on the son to get home and he tackles that son. And I'm sure he just smells the acrid smell Uh, all over him and he puts his own robe on his son and then he gives him a ring and that was the sign of kingship that was a sign of royalty to have a signet ring and he says give him brand new shoes and he says strike up the band get the fattened calf because he says my son was dead and is alive again That's the party of grace. Did you know that is the story of every believer? But then there's that other son out in the field, right? And he hears it. Where's mine? He wasn't really after the heart of the father. He was only bitter in his own tiny existence of himself. The tragic consequence of bitterness. So the present, so now the present cures for bitterness. For those of you who right now are in the midst of some type of bitterness in your life, if you're not, just hold on. It's probably coming at some point. Some of you have deep, deep pain in your life. By the way, disclaimer, side sermon here. Abuse is very real. That's not imagined hurt, is it? Don't take anything today as being flippant or lighthearted about any type of abuse. All I'm saying today is that abuse no longer has to have authority in your life. You don't have to die in a casket of bitterness. So... The present cures for bitterness. One, daily commemorate the miracle of your conversion. Just daily obsess and commemorate the miracle of your conversion. In other words, uh, we usually think of the gospel, that the gospel is for who? Unbelievers. That is very true. It is equally needed for who? Believers. The church of Jesus Christ needs to be gossiping the gospel all the time. Can you imagine our conversations over and over again? Let me tell you how the Lord saved me from myself. 
Let me tell you what he did on my behalf by justifying me. And in his spirit, he is sanctifying me and how he is showing me new levels of repentance and how he has grown me in Christ. Those conversations are gold within the body of Christ. Daily commemorate the miracle of your conversion. You need to know that conversion is always a miracle. That can be really hard. I know near the Bible belt because we assume the word gospel. We assume what it means. And there's lots of cultural gospel. But I'm telling you, it did not take extra blood for Jesus to save unchurched people. Every conversion is a miracle. Every conversion is a Lazarus moment. Every conversion is a miracle. You know why this is important? The more and more I obsess about what God did in Christ for Rob makes me take my eyes off those who have offended me and how they've come short in my life. The next thing, leave room for God's wrath through prayer and gestures of kindness. I know we need to do that wisely. Leave room for God's wrath through prayer and gestures of kindness. Romans 12, 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Then in verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, be, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Matthew 5, 43, the words of our Lord, when he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Leave room for God's wrath through prayer and gestures of kindness. When I'm bitter, do you know what I'm trying to, you know what roles I'm trying to play inwardly? I'm trying to play the role of judge, jury, and executioner. Those aren't my roles. The Lord's got that. And then lastly, Trust that God will use your pain for his good purposes. Transparent moment here. I don't know if I totally understand the mystery of the existence of evil in all its details. I do know that God will waste nothing. He will waste absolutely nothing. I mean, doesn't it say, right, in Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I want to rewrite it and say God works all good things for the good of those called according to his purpose. But you know what all means in the Greek? All. All things. All things. Trust that God will use your pain for his good purposes. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, that fact that God put on skin and came in the form of Jesus, who could really be touched, could really sit down with, means that he can relate to pain. God knows what it means to lose a son. 
The Bible says that he is close to the brokenhearted. One of my favorite psalms, in Psalm 56, it says that God stores all of our tears in a bottle. Isn't that beautiful? And and I, I just... Over the last two, two and a half years of my life, I have cried more in the last two, two and a half years of my life than in my entire life. And to know that I have a God who is my Father, who has stored up every one of those tears, that must be a great big God who has a great big bottle. And he cares that much. Isn't it great that we have a God who stores tears in a bottle and then he unleashed them through the eyelashes of Jesus on the cross when he says, forgive them. They know not what they do. If we have a Jesus like that, we have no need to be bitter because we are free. We are absolutely free. As I end, A few years ago, I did the funeral of a lady by the name of Deb. Deb died of cancer in her late 30s. And her funeral was a testament to the goodness of Jesus. There's so many details. The concise version is this. Years ago, Deb did not have a relationship with Jesus. And she got married to a guy that absolutely trashed her life, abused her, demeaned her. He was absolutely horrible with her. And eventually he left her. Not long after that happened, Jesus went after Deb. And our Jesus saved Deb's life. Gave her a new heart. Granted her faith, repentance. She became a daughter of the king. Then she eventually meets a guy who loves Jesus and they got married. After they got married, the news came out that her ex-husband came down with cancer. And this guy, because of how he was socially, his family wanted nothing to do with him. He was totally isolated. Deb and her husband brought him into her home. And as he went down the trajectory of his death, they took care of him. He was mean at first. And then he would start asking questions like, why are you doing this? I've been so mean to you. Well, you know what they're going to say. And they shared the good news of Jesus. And not long before he died, the penny dropped. And he confessed Jesus as Lord of his life. If she was bitter, and on paper, she would have a case. But Jesus died for her, gave her a heart of mercy. 
God kept that lady alive for a few more years, more than her ex-husband. So that ex-husband could hear the good news of Jesus and become a son of God. Only people with Jesus, right? It's Jesus, isn't it? Jesus is awesome. Don't ever get over the fact that Jesus is awesome. And he has forgiveness for you. There's hope for you. Whatever you've gone through, you don't have to live there anymore. It's over. He wants to set you free. Lord, Heavenly Father, I just ask God that you would bring people to yourself, that you would draw them to you. Lord, I thank you for your amazing grace. And I ask God, especially for those who are in this room today, that there's been some damage, that there's been a broken heart, that there's been anger. And Lord, I pray that you would help them to be free. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. In your awesome and precious name. And God's people said.